Welcome to Hard Hat and Tales. My name is Adrian Mansfield. I've been working with the construction sector now for over a decade. In this podcast, we're going to talk to leaders from the construction sector, both in the UK and globally, and ask them about their track record, how they got into the industry, and some of the main challenges they're facing as we go into the next post-COVID world. Welcome to today's podcast. I'm here with Nigel Hewish. He's a senior manager within the company Idon Meerbrook. And I'll turn it over to you now, Nigel, I guess, if you could give uh, everybody a bit of an introduction to yourself and, and your company. Yeah, sure. So, uh, as Adrian said, my name is Nigel Hewish. I'm the MD of Idum Meerbrook. In the world, is a, a global company of engineers, scientists, architects and consultants. Um, in the UK, Idum Meerbrook is a company we work for clients who are developing land. So developers, construction companies, anybody particularly actually wants to develop brownfield, marginal, pre-used land. We do geo-environmental assessments, we're specialists in air quality, noise assessments and civil engineering. Okay, so quite a broad, global global business with quite a broad footprint, but obviously, uh, and even even in the UK, quite a broad footprint as well. Yeah. So I suppose the first question from from my point of view was, I mean, how did you, I've had a look at your your CV, as it were, out there. I mean, I I noticed you've got a background in in physics and and some quite quite lofty degree background. So how did you get into the the civil engineering and construction business in the first place? What was your your background and how did you get into it? Yeah, as you say, I've got a, a physics degree. First got into it using that, actually, for an environmental consultancy, which needed to, it was, it was assessing the transport of landfill gas from oh, wow. landfill through the ground to houses. Yeah. So, and that's quite a lot of physics. So that's how I got into it. Okay, so they were like, they were out there looking for somebody that had this particular skill set and could help them all solve this problem and you sort of... Uh... It was a bit after the, the Losco explosion in Derbyshire. Okay. Where, where some houses were well, exploded due to landfill gas. Landfill. So yeah, there was a lot of, it, it was a sort of topic of the moment back back in the uh, early 90s, this was. So. Okay. And then you sort of you sort of enjoyed that market so much, you stayed in it and sort of grew, grew yeah, up and developed the, it through the, it. Yeah, the consultancy I joined was uh, multidisciplinary. We moved on from that to doing sort of general brownfield assessments and geotechnical, geo-environmental stuff. And and then soon after that, I joined a, a different consultancy, which became Meerbrook into civil engineering, structural engineering, and all the rest of it as well. Interesting, interesting background and path. And it's amazing how these sort of careers, sort of the degree you start off with doesn't necessarily, you can't always put it into a, into a, a pocket when you're coming out the other end of it. I mean, you say the, the obvious linkage between physics and, and construction, or indeed that case in terms of the, the underground gas, the obvious connection probably wouldn't be made by somebody like myself in the background but as you say it's obviously a yeah, key yeah. key part of the the, the the question if you like was the, was the yeah, physics and, then, and get promoted and you know become management you know yeah. i've not done any technical stuff for quite a few years now no no i did a, i did a degree way back when god knows how many years ago now and mine included german and people go do you still use german i go well the odd skiing trip now and again but i don't think i've been in the middle east for the last 10 years there's not much german spoke out there but I you've got that on your cv though yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I still got it there. Keep it around. You never know. You never know when it might come in handy. So how is the, how is the, I mean, the obvious question, the obvious element, the elephant in the room at the moment with everything going on around in the last 12 months is how has it been for, 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 for it on Meerbrook in the last, last 12 months with the, with COVID and everything else? How has that, has that impacted everything? Yeah, it's actually been okay. I mean, in the first lockdown, I think, let's be honest, everyone took the first lockdown a lot more seriously. In the first weeks of the first lockdown, the construction sector effectively shut down. Yeah. Because we were all told to stay at home. Then it kind of 
emerged that well I'm actually you know you, you can't work from home on a construction site so you better go to work so our clients opened up again after the first few weeks yeah by which time we'd furloughed a few people we, we probably furloughed about a third of our people 30 to 40 percent that was in April but by June July they were all back we've we've been up to capacity since then in terms of our workload it hasn't affected us hardly at all apart from the very beginning of this that sort of short shot shock at the beginning of it all and then sort of carry yeah. on back to normal almost yeah, yeah. I, I was amazed I, I was in so the first lockdown I was in the UAE so this time last year I was I was still out in, in the in the sun and, the, and we had a in Abu Dhabi where I was based we had a couple of weeks of lockdown semi-lockdown and then we were all back out and everything was back normal but when I came back in the summer to the UK and was talking about lockdown here it was sort of Marie Celeste everyone was no yeah. streets were empty and all this sort of stuff so the first real lockdown I've gone through is the last few months and right. it is hilarious when yeah. you when you speak to people who went through the first one and the, the second one effectively the sort of full lockdowns the kind of difference between the two apparently are quite night and day and I'm like well people realized they could still work and it didn't yeah. have to stop yeah as long as you still have the market there theaters and pubs and that have to close but yeah but certainly in our sector you know we, we all work from home we've been working from home for a year it works we if we do need to go to a site we can go to a site that all our clients are COVID secure. Our offices are COVID secure as well. So yeah. We, yeah, we're ready to go back when we need to. Yeah. 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 And do you still have most of your sort of day-to-day operational people in terms of the, 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 I suppose, those that will be in the office are they still working from home or are you kind of people starting to go back into the offices now? We haven't got people. I mean, we tried to go back in September. Yeah. That was the, when the, the lockdown was lifted. But but people are work, used to working from home, I think, to be honest. So... Yeah, we're not going to go back to how it was. Mm. Um, I think what what will happen is most people will end up going back for two or three days a week and having yeah. two or three days a week at home. Well, I've now got used to this idea of working through yeah. remote systems and, and doing stuff where it needs to be in office in yeah. an office, but potentially sort of a split of thing. Yeah. And that, I suppose, brings us neatly on to the to the other side of the, the conversation, which is in terms of where you see the future trends. I know your your business is very much in the idea of, we talked about this idea of reclaiming and reusing brownfield sites. And and one of the yeah. biggest areas that has been hit, I suppose, by, by COVID is those big city centre, sort of people going into a city, working in a city, living in a city. We spoke when we went before this podcast about the idea of, I think it was last week that came out, the idea that people are now searching for Cornwall on yeah. right move as opposed to where it used to be London, they're now looking at Cornwall and people are looking at that yeah. idea of space and getting out. But obviously that potentially then from your side of things affects how cities are going to be operating. I know you're involved in, in, a, in a big scheme with Derby, aren't you, in terms of how, how Derby wants to look at itself going. Yeah, I've been involved in conversations about you know, yeah. what Derby wants to achieve. Yeah. Um, and I think that's quite interesting. And I'm guessing other cities do similar things because, yeah, as you say, that with all the shops shut and people wanting to move out from the city centre to the country, people getting much more used to doing online shopping. The, the, the city centres are in danger of becoming well, dead, really, aren't they? No, no shops and nobody living there. So certainly what Derby is going to try and do, and I, you know, I think it's the way forward, is, is, is create these living cities again, you know, where you're literally living, working and playing in the city. So yeah. you've got to have your affordable apartments and, and living accommodation alongside all the hospitality, you know, pubs, restaurants, whatever retail will be will re- remain which i'm guessing will also the trend will be towards smaller shops artisan kind of makers and that sort of thing yeah. rather than the big 
stores and at the same time as that providing the green spaces as well because I think everyone's learned in the last year how important it is to be close to nature and, and have green spaces yeah so I think yeah with with the right planning city centers could become really lovely they, they could become vibrant living working playing places with green spaces and, and destinations that the, the people from the country will go into for and spend the whole day there yeah afternoon to do some shopping go in do some shopping have some lunch in a nice area stay for the evening go to the theater whatever and that's if you're not actually living there yeah i mean that's you know becoming that destination i mean we spoke briefly uh, before about you know one of the one of the amazing pieces having done quite a lot of work in london over the last few years is the amount of greenery and green spaces that there is in a city like london which as an outsider who never really worked there before you go in and you kind of do your bit you go on the tube you get up you pop out you go home again actually when you spend a bit of time there you realize quite how much green land and space there is in in the city center and having that opportunity in a, in a space like derby or birmingham or one of these other conurbations to be able to build that yeah that green open space into it, because that's obviously going to be one of the big issues coming out yeah. of COVID, is, is that ability to get out and do things locally. Yeah. And I, I think London's quite, yeah, London is a green city, but I think other cities need to look to become greener. I know there's, uh, in, in, I don't know if you know Nottingham, but the Broadmarsh Centre in Nottingham yeah. being redeveloped. And there is a, a proposal um, actually put together by Nottinghamshire Wildlife Trust to make that whole area a green space mm. that, that can be used for for leisure and, and you know, picnics and, and completely changing the, the feel of the city rather than just plonk a car park or another shopping centre or you know, make it much more usable. Yeah. And again, I was, I was at a, a Derby meeting the other day when and this was, you were talking about golf before, before <laughs> what got my juices flows. They were talking Derby about opening up the marketplace in the next couple of weeks where they've got little chalet kind of booths mm. so people can have their group of six in, in the open yeah. and you order food from whatever outlets are in Derby who then come and deliver it to you. Oh, to right. So you can alfresco dine with your six, yeah. group of six, but in, in a confined area that the Derby sort of businesses are providing for you. Yeah. So then you can buy from, from those different yeah. those city traders. Oh, that's a brilliant yeah. idea. Of use of space to kind of make people get that kind of people back into the city. Yeah, put entertainment on, you know, a bit of uh, music or theatre or whatever as well. So yeah, that idea of yeah, sit, sitting outside with people doing something. <laughs> I know it feels it feels alien at the moment, doesn't it? After after the last yeah. year, but but yeah, but that, I suppose that again, that's the sort of thing that cities are going to have to look to, isn't it? That ability to build that that concept into these into these designs as they go forward, building that new normal for one of that description into yeah. their into their concepts and saying how do we evolve, how do we evolve to meet these new needs and green space is an obvious one but these other ideas of bringing other 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 models to the table where you can put pods together so people can sit and, and feel yeah. more comfortable yeah we'll, we'll give that that ability or that will for people to come to come back into those spaces and use them more often yeah, yeah. and yeah we yeah in terms of getting people to live there as well it's you know they need to be thinking about buy to let flats blocks of flats and I mean buy to live in blocks of flats if you build flats like I know they're doing in in Manchester and Birmingham as well where you know it, you've got a nice flat in a nice block you, it's concierge controlled you've got a gym you've got a swimming pool you've got a quiet room you know all that sort of thing it will attract people to live in the city you know maybe on the ground floor you've got your bit of retail a bit of restaurants or 
you know, whatever. Just kind of encourage that vibrant city living thing, really. Yeah, I mean, I, as I said before, I, I was in the UAE for, for four years and, and it's the same there. You know, the, the, the number of cities around the world that have gone up and have these, you know, very high spec, tall, flat, effectively. Some of them are offices, some of them are other multi-use buildings with residential and, and, as you say, entertainment and offices in the same space. And we have so few of those really in the UK. There's, there's, there seems to be this sort of view of high-rise buildings that that living is, is from the 60s and the 50s when we built these sort of buildings that were post-war. But actually the quality of some of those buildings, where you say you've got your gym, you've got your saunas, you've got your yeah. sports facilities and all that sort of stuff, plus concierge, plus that, that seems to be a perfect model for somewhere yeah. like a big city or even a smaller city where you're looking to get yeah. people back into those environments. Yeah, the British culture is very much that you you, you aspire to your garden, you know, your, your suburban house at a garden, don't you? Yeah. And I think that's going to change. I think it's got to change. Yeah. Because just, just from an affordability point of view, because at the end of the day, exactly. space in the UK is a premium. So if you're looking at house prices that keep going up for that sort of every, every person is castle type scenario, that price keeps going up. But if you can put together on the same space in somewhere in the city centre, you know, five or 600 flats maybe, that are start at studio and go through to sort of two or three bedrooms yeah. and the option has that and it's it is the we spoke before i think your 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 idom is is spanish parents it's got bill bow and a lot of you saying a lot of your senior staff in in, in the spanish business sort of have a place in the city and then yeah. and then get out for the weekend yeah and, you yeah, and it kind might of, be a flat on two floors and stuff yeah. it's, it's quite a big space yeah but it's still in the block yeah and how does that how does that kind of uh, fit in with because obviously you're talking before about your your business particularly in terms of the reuse of brownfield sites because that's obviously quite a quite an impact or has traditionally been quite an issue in terms of reusing some of these spaces and getting them back to yeah. back to a position where particularly from a residential point of view I believe it's more difficult to reuse on that basis or has been I mean you'll probably tell me that's probably well, maybe, that's, yeah. you know, there's higher standards that you need to bring the land up to for yeah. uh, people who are living on it than, than there are the, the shops or like industry or something yeah so. but is that i mean is that presumably that's all the, the services are there the ability to do it is there it's just a case of of the will and the drive from these oh, cities yeah, to yeah. make it work yeah 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 absolutely yeah yeah there's nothing that we do that's particularly new it's yeah. been around a long time but but sure. basically what we do is is clear yeah we're still cleaning up from the industrial revolution that, that's yeah. what we're doing yeah. the longest period of 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 contaminating our land than anybody because we because we start yeah and we don't have the benefits of somewhere like a dubai where they just suddenly go i'll tell you what we'll just move down there went, yeah. i first went to dubai in 2001 and then i went back when i first started working in the middle east in 2009 and they built a new city i mean it was yeah. still dubai obviously but they built the marina and if anybody's been to dubai you know the marina was effectively a whole new area that they built and it's it's vast and you sit there and go well because they had the space they could just build it whereas here obviously yeah. we don't have that yeah so, it's a, so in terms of that, so I mean, obviously talking about, about the city side of things, that idea, and I think the concept of bringing people back in and having that sort of group of sort of things working together, the, the, the buildings that people want to live in and use from a residential point of view, the green spaces so people can feel like they're in that open air environment that perhaps they're looking for with the Cornwall searches, and then, and then bring back the retail services. Obviously, maybe not in the same way we've had them traditionally, where you've had the big set piece John Lewis's or whatever, but those sort of artisan stores that make that space work, that sort of combined together would seem to me to be a great way of, of reinvigorating a city centre, as, yeah. as you say, as a place for people to go and go into from outside as well, not just from yeah. those living there. The, the other thing you need, which again, you know, is all part of our business, is, is the infrastructure to do that. So 
in the future, I'm, that's going to be car charging points and or public transport on you know, hydrogen-based public transport or something like that. It's, it's, yeah. it's, we, we've got to, at the same time as getting people into the city, get the cars out of the cities. So maybe it's more park and rides. Yeah. You know, park outside, charge your car up and, and get a, a hydrogen-powered tram in or you know, that, yeah. that sort of thing. So. Yeah, because, I mean, just come back to the idea about London, the, one of the biggest drivers and benefits of London is almost wherever you are inside of the M25 you can get on a pretty good public transport system in the tube I mean those in London will complain about it but from those coming outside we see it as a, a real benefit and you can get in anywhere in the city pretty quickly with a with a rel- relatively cheap public transport system whereas yeah. in somewhere like Birmingham where I, I spend a lot of time working that same system doesn't really exist so you've got trains in, the big commuter trains in, but not that kind of getting around space isn't quite as easy. Yeah. So. No, Birmingham is a car city, isn't it? I mean, it's got the motorways practically driving through the centre, haven't they? Although <laughs> I, know, I know there's plans to do something about the A38, isn't there? Make it public transport only or something? I think they've, they've been talking about it for a while. It's just, as you say, it's just so car-centric and it's just it, it yeah. comes to that point where you've got to, at some point, bite the bullet and say, we're just going to make this, this more uh, pedestrian and public transport friendly and almost... Yeah take the bullet for a little while to, to the car drivers that complain because yeah. the systems won't naturally won't be able to catch up if you're going to close roads to put, put the public transport on it you're not going to be able to there's going to be a, a lag in that isn't there so you're going to have to, to deal with it for a time but I think if you can get that come back to the point about space if you can reuse some of those roads for pedestrianization and green spaces and things like that and don't have to have the tarmac laid down then it makes everywhere look a little bit more friendly for people the pedestrianized yeah. zones and stuff like that makes makes things yeah. a lot easier and you can start to do the these big, uh, I, again, looking at my track record, it's places like Munich, and you, it's big, these big boulevards where they've got, to a degree, they've got the weather, certainly during the summer, but they have these outdoor cafes that kind of, everybody goes, oh, I want that continental style of living. Well, they have big boulevards where people don't drive their cars. So if you can get rid of those cars, you can then put the boulevards there yeah. and put the cafes yeah. out and make that space usable. Yeah, and I do have a hope that, that one of the things that's come out of the, the COVID restrictions, particularly from last summer and to a certain extent, I guess, this summer, is that we have all got used to sitting outside more because, because we've had to. You know, if, if you want to go to the pub, you have to go and sit outside. So if, if we can maintain that, I think it would be a good thing. Absolutely. Yeah, we just need to set up to do it. Make sure you've got the awnings or, you know, some heaters. Yeah. A few more pa- patio heater sales might be going yeah, through the roof. Exactly. But yeah, but you're right. That's kind of idea. I mean, I went to went to Chinatown in London during the summer last year. So it was the t- probably September time before lockdown sort of really started kicking again. And it was amazing. They turned it all into, you know, outside tables and there were sort of restaurants where, because that was the way that people wanted to sit and eat and, and it become it had become a kind of normal yeah. normal thing. And that use of that more would be great for people going forward. Because again... Yeah, Brussels a, a couple of years ago. I'm sure they do this in the UK in some places. So, but... In the parking spaces, they actually put decking over the parking spaces you know, outside a restaurant mm. and include that as your seating. Yeah. So, yeah, it's not car friendly, but it, it gets the outside seating for... Well, you know, you maybe you could maybe convert that space then, can't you? Because, you know, maybe Monday through Wednesday or Thursday, you, you haven't got as many people looking to dine out or whatever. And then the weekends, yeah. you start to pull that space back into use for the restaurant. So you can kind of, yeah. you can flex the space then. And they're giving that flexibility to the to the to the space that you're using whether that's in terms of transport for pedestrians or whatever or or, or seating for, for the restaurant at the weekend but yeah. i think we're going to have to get more uh, clever about how we use it going forward which is obviously yeah. where you're where you're at the point of that in terms of the yeah. stuff you're doing yeah. Right. so so yeah i actually think the, you know the construction sector 
has got a lot of potential. It needs the money, it needs people investing, and it, yeah. and it needs encouragement from government and local authorities in, in terms of planning. There's a lot needs to change, and yeah, there's a lot of potential. And how, just on that note, while you brought it up, how, how do you find that the, the investment space for the, for the construction market in the UK is? I know, again, come back to London, London seems to get a lot of the, the Qataris in with the Shard and things like that, but you know, outside of those big, that big city of London, do you, do you find that some of the programmes you work on in, say, a Derby or a Nottingham gets the, gets the investment funding through? Or There, there is certainly private investment funding, but, and yeah, the, the cities fight themselves to get it, don't they? There's, I know recently there's a, a company called Smart Park, which has moved to Derby. They, they could have moved for any number of places, but Derby won them, if you like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's all private investment for, for food production, actually. Okay, nice. Which is good. Yeah. Um, we've been involved in, you know, train manufacturers come, you know, wanting to come to the UK for the HS2 contracts. Yeah. And, you know, we've, we've done um, site audits for them, various sites all around the country, helping them decide where they're going to go. In the end, with that sort of thing, it kind of depends on which government's going to back them most. <laughs> the private investment, it's, it's who wants the jobs more. Yeah, I remember I, my first job out of university, I'll digress a slightly, but it's a similar sort of thing. I worked for a thing called the West Midlands Development Agency, which was one of these, became advantage of West Midlands later on. And yeah. I was a newbie out of university, only because I spoke German. I got the job when I was talking to a lot of German companies. And it was hilarious. We would, West Midlands would be trying to get these companies in. And some of them you knew weren't coming to us because they were they were in a particular, I mean, one of them was, at the time, I think Silicon Glen was a big thing up in Scotland. I think it still is, but there was a lot of people coming in from the IT space and they'd come to the West Midlands and then they go, and you go, well, they're not going there. And then you get a car company coming in, you go, well, we know you're going to come around here, because <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you have to be close to Toyota, or you have to be close to whatever that particular business yeah. you were looking to work with was. So so you're trying to those sort of these, but I think the idea of attracting those companies and bringing that investment into these cities, once you start to, as you say, get a plan together that, that the, com- the city can then project out to everybody. Because yeah. half the time it is about the, the, the ancillary services around the edge of it, that ability to, yeah. and, and to live and work in cities and stuff. Yeah, and also that there is you know, public you know, government investment in things like HS2, mm. other infrastructure, you know, Northern Powerhouse stuff. Yeah. Which is putting infrastructure in to encourage then the private investments coming on the back of it. So, yeah, yeah. so while the government is spending money on, on the large projects like that, and there'll be a trickle-down effect, and yeah. it's it's encouraging for everybody. Yeah. They put the skeleton in, effectively, and then the, the yeah. private sector can come in around that and build up the rest of it around it. Yeah. No, that's that's impressive. Yeah, it's very good. So I suppose that's that's really I mean that that's given us a very good picture of the, of the background of, of, of your business and and where you are where you've got to. And it's really interesting. So I suppose the, the the final point is really just to see. So in terms of we talked about that future trends. I mean, do you see? Do you see any particular big movements over the next 12, 18 months, or is it just a case of things, these things starting to pick through and grow as they go forward? The next 12 to 18, month, 18 months worries me because we've obviously borrowed a lot of money to get through COVID. Yeah. And there's also the Brexit effect, which, you know, there is an effect there. Which COVID is masking at the moment, I don't know. So as long as the government keeps investing, I think we'll be fine. If, yeah. they, if they'd falter or stop or then the next 12 to 18 months could be a problem yeah it's that it's that point now where you need they need to just keep their foot on the on the pedal yeah. a little bit to kind of let everything else settle down around yeah. it and then see where yeah. we are in a few you know. and, there, and there's plenty for them to do even even if it isn't controversial things like hs2 there's much less controversial things like completely decarbonizing the economy and yeah, yeah zero carbon energy and yeah you know, all the, there's lots and lots that they could be spending money on 
Well, yeah, you could, you could, you know, don't want to turn into a political, but you could, you could quite easily, you know, that's the sort of thing. You go right, we're going to be a green economy. We're going to, we're going to throw, yeah. throw, throw uh, you know, our hat in that ring and, and and bring that sort of investment in through the private sector to go. Yeah. Well, if you guys are going to be using, as you say, hydrogen-based transportation systems or increased use of electric cars and buses and things like that, then the the the, the private sector will follow, and then you can be a become almost a world leader in that sort of space we'll yeah. try and try and yeah. put that put that thing through yeah it's always easy to spend money isn't it <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah it's great to have these ideas unfortunately we don't have the, don't have the will to be able to put the don't have the position to power to be able to do it put it, do anything with them but there you go yeah no that's brilliant well nigel thank you very much for your time today it's been very very good to to, to speak to you and, and to get a feel from you on the, the market as it is at the moment and where we're going to and things like that and obviously particularly in terms of the future space it sounds like a, a very interesting model and in some of the stuff that you're very much involved in is going to be uh, it's going to be the future forefront of hopefully some of these big cities in the future in, yeah, yeah yeah brilliant that's great yeah, it's been a pleasure thanks very much Adrian. so thanks for joining me on hard hat and tails this week um i look forward to coming back to you with more interviews from the world of construction over the next month